We should intro, right? We, we should do, do the that. intro. Yes. Okay. Okay, <laughs> we're going to get it first try. This okay. is definitely absolutely the first time we're doing this 100, today. 100%. Hello and welcome to Unsound Theories. I'm Kat. I'm Kira. And we watch movies with no sound and no subtitles and try to figure out what the hell is going on. Spoilers. We're in Brazil? We're very much not in Brazil. <laughs> that's, yeah, no, that's, um, it, I still don't know why it's called Brazil. So I could tell you why it's called Brazil. Okay, tell me. There's a song that plays, um, like, throughout the movie as, like, an ongoing motif. Uh-huh. Which is, um, which was released in English as just Brazil. So this is a music video. A little bit. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Um, the British Film Institute calls it one of, uh, calls it the 54th greatest British film of all time. <laughs> Brutal. Oh, God. <laughs> hey, it's in top 55, all right? Yeah, you know? <laughs> you know? Um, and that's, that's an honor. Yeah. I... I was like, why are there no movies from the 2000s on this list? And then I looked, it's a list from 1999. (laughs) (laughs) So presumably Brazil could have fallen down the ranks, like, significantly. Yeah, I wonder. Behind 100 British films. I wonder if this list has been, has ever been updated. Sight and sound poll, blah, blah, blah. 1 to 250. Okay. So this is just greatest films of all time, not greatest British films of all time. Well, that's not what you want. And it has Mulholland Drive at number eight. Okay. Which is... Our next Unsound Theories episode. We can watch David Lynch movies for Unsound Theories. I'm perfectly fine with that. (laughs) I have seen all of them, but we can watch them. Okay. Um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is in here, which is that lesbian period drama. <clears throat> that I've never heard of that, but it sounds vaguely familiar, I guess. Um, weirdly, also, Top 50 is um, e- tied at 38 with Rear Window is the Marilyn Monroe vehicle, Some Like It Hot, which is uh, about cross-dressing. Huh. Okay. All right. What a, uh, you know, for a movie made in 1959, it's got pretty decent understanding of gender. That's good. You'd love to see that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis, very classic movie. Not one we're going to watch for Unsound Theories. That's fair. This list has some like it hot outranking Rashomon. Huh. I don't know that I trust this list. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I mean, every every top movie list in some way is going to be subjective. That's true. Yeah, there's no real like 
you can't make an objective top movies list, right? Because no, it is you, you always going to be subjective. Yeah. And, like, you also have recency bias to account for. Yeah. And all that fun stuff. It's And there are quite so strange. many movies. No, no one person can feasibly see and therefore rank all of them. And even if they did, that's one person. And I don't necessarily agree with that person's opinions on movies. Yeah, you know, I think you can maybe do a little bit of like um you know how uh you take like represent like political polls are always representative sample sizes if you have a large right. enough sample yeah. size you can develop if not a definitive then at least a consensus opinion mm. i thought you were talking about <laughs> taking a random sample of movies and ranking those and calling that the best movies no, no, it's which would be so, so fucking funny. Okay, do we want to put out, uh, like, just take a random sampling of movies and like once a week put out the Unsound Theories top ten movies of the week, and it's just like ten movies from a random movie generator that's slightly yes. vetted by us. Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> statistically it's accurate uh-huh mm-hmm. um that's how that so, works so in this movie in this in brazil mm-hmm. there were a couple of actors who i was like wait he's in this my favorite was bob hoskins playing a plumber yes <laughs> before mario there was yes. that guy with the fucked up hat <laughs> and it was basically the same character it was basically just him playing mario before he played mario except he wasn't doing a stupid new york accent he was using his regular bob hoskins accent do you think this movie is why he got the part for mario um yes almost Next assuredly question. right <laughs> yes uh, it also had uh robert de niro as another plumber, plumber of some sort some um, some manner of like gorilla plumber. It also had um, Ian Holm, who you would recognize most likely as uh, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, uh, from I the would... Lord of the Rings trilogy, not the Hobbit trilogy. Far more important in my mind, as far as roles he's done goes, is um, the priest in Fifth Element. Okay, that's fair. Um, I've always been more into the fantasy side of sci-fi fantasy, so that checks That's out. Fair. Um, who else was in it that I saw that was like, wait, him? Uh, Jim Broadbent was in it. Which one was he? Um, he was one of the, uh, he was one of the plastic surgeons, the one okay. who I think, um, worked on the lead character's mom's plastic surgery. Okay, okay. Um, it was one of his first movies too. Um, Interesting. What 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 else has he been in that I would like? He was in Blackadder. Obviously, he's a British actor, so he was probably in Harry Potter. Uh, um, yeah, legally, legally required. Mm-hmm. Probably been in Doctor he was, Who. Yeah, he was in um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Okay, haven't seen it. A dubious honor, if ever there was one. <laughs> um, he was in both Paddingtons. Oh, he was in Game of Thrones. On the back. Have you ever seen the Paddington movies? No. Apparently, Paddington Two is one of the 
greatest movies of all time. You know what you would recognize him from? Um, if you didn't recognize him from a bunch of other stuff. Um, and you also have weird movie-watching habits like I do. He was in Moulin Rouge. It's been probably yep, 15 man. years since I saw that movie. <laughs> I watched it, like, last year again. I watched that, and then I watched um, Romeo and Juliet, like, back-to-back. Damn. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, Baz Luhrmann sure does know how to make... A movie with a lot of swishy jump cuts. <laughs> where does where does um uh um forget what I was gonna say? Never mind. Dick. I'm trying to see <laughs> if there's like any other actors that I recognize from this cast list, and the answer is no. Fair. I I felt like I recognized the main character, but he is probably just like a generic looking British guy. So um. It's Jonathan Price, and he's been in a lot of stuff. Okay. Does he... Is is he, like, known for playing Nervous British Man? Um, I don't think so. Let's see okay. what his acting credits list. Um, have we talked about Freddy as FRO7 We have talked show? about We have talked about it. I tried to convince you to do it for the show, for the podcast. Because Jonathan Price was very much in that movie. <laughs> Hell yeah. Didn't we... Wait, did we do it for the podcast? No, we watched... Um, we watched Flushed Away, and that's where Freddy as FRO7 came up. Okay. Um, let's see. He was in 2009's G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra as President of the United States. Fascinating choice. Um... Back to back between 2017 and 2018, he was in The Man Who Invented Christmas and then The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. (laughs) So I assume that's actually just a sequel. The guy who invented Christmas then went and killed Don Quixote. That makes sense. Yeah. That's Um, that's two character traits that fit in the same person. In 2019's The Two Popes, he played Pope Francis. Ah, okay. Sure. Taco, sweetie. What are you looking for? Are you looking for early dinner? <laughs> You're not getting dinner early. Say hello. Say hello, Taco. Hi, Taco. Can you hear him grunting into the microphone? <laughs> yeah. He's what a sweet um, little guy. He is now sitting on my lap. I apologize for any random creaks of the mic or anything like that. It is most likely Taco. Ah. <laughs> uh. Sweet man. Do we want to go through the plot of this movie? Yes, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what I would know Jonathan Price from. Um, he was in Game of Thrones as the High Sparrow. Okay, that's where I know him from. Okay. He's also in Doctor Who and the Curse of Fatal Death, which was a 1999 television short where Rowan Atkinson played the Doctor. Mm. In a non-canonical, like, just for laughs kind of a dealie. It was for Red Nose Day, which okay. is a charity telethon. Okay. All right. And it was the first Doctor Who thing after Doctor Who was fully canceled before it was revived in 2005. Oh, no. And uh, Jim Broadbent was also in that. British actors. <clears throat> Can't live with them. Can't live without them. There's just like eight of them. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's talk about this movie. Yes. So, 
The movie follows a guy who kind of sucks. Yeah, basically, um, so the thing that I want to sort of put to you about this movie is mm-hmm. that this and the uh, and Bo is Afraid both occupy the same existential niche. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's no. It's about a man who can't get his life together and is constantly under the thumb of his mother in some way, shape, or form, trying yeah. to figure out a way to turn his meaningless life into something meaningful and being punished for spending most of his life as a layabout. And then he ends the movie tragically. Completely insane. Yeah. Holy shit. Do you think there's maybe only, like, four movies? Um, okay, so there's Kurosawa movies, or movies that are made to be Kurosawa movies. Mm-hmm. Um, that includes everything that's derivative of Star Wars. Alright. Uh, so that's one type of movie. Um, there's the conflict of a man and his mother. Yeah. That's just, like, that covers, like, 90% of the rest of movies. And then there's uh, gay forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking in this case about um, some like it hot counts under that. Um, the gay deceivers counts under that, right? Yeah, that, that's our yeah, third type of movie. Absolutely. And then the fourth type of movie is um, slobbing on Joseph Campbell's knob. <laughs> Those are the four types of movies. Shit, yeah, that's... So we've seen every movie. Yeah, which is why we can authoritatively make a list of the top ten movies of the week. Hell yeah. We've seen at least one of everyone. Yeah, we we did it. We fucking did it. I think that makes us the most professional movie podcast. Uh, yeah. And I mean, not many other movie podcasts that can say they've seen every movie. Exactly. Um, in fact, there's some movie podcasts where they can definitively say they've seen, like, maybe five movies. (laughs) (laughs) That's not fair. (laughs) Tim and Guy watched, like, 50-something different softcore porns. That's true. That's fair. <laughs> that's very fair. I have been so delighted by Guy Montgomery on Taskmaster New Zealand. Yes, that this season two is honestly some of the best of Taskmaster history, in my opinion. <laughs> like, when, when the task is bringing the two most dissimilar things and he brings in chalk and cheese... <laughs> Nailed it. And then acquiesces to the fact that cinder blocks and custard is just a more extreme version of chalk and cheese, (laughs) and therefore more deserving of five points. Yes. Uh, Good shit. Weirdly, of all the seasons of Taskmaster and Zed that I've watched, each season has had a guy named Guy on it. Do they keep up that trend with season three? That's a great question. I know season three has a guy named Chris, and that's kind of guy. That is a very guy name. <laughs> I mean, um, okay, so no, in fact. No. Okay. Chris Parker, Josh Thompson, Justine Smith, Kuda Forrester, and Paul Ego. 
Well, can't win them all. Yeah, you know, it happens. Okay, so this movie is about our Bo is Afraid archetype character, right? Yes. He kind of sucks at life. He doesn't... And, and, and he has a, 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 a sexual awakening. Um, with his weird little Adonis fantasy where he's flying around dressed like fucking Flash Gordon Brian Blessed. <laughs> <laughs> During his little Hawkman attack routine. Yeah. Um, um, saving a damsel in distress. Yep. Who he then sees in real life. Yeah. Or someone who looks like her anyway. Yeah. And she's a truck driver. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's important to note that this is one of them dystopia films. Yeah, yeah. Which means that he it also opens... lives in a sort of 1984-esque, like, high-control authoritarian dictatorship and works for the government. Yes. It, the movie opens with um, a mistake on a form being printed be- because a guy crushed a cockroach and it fell into a typewriter and print- printed the wrong letter, which caused the wrong person to be arrested by the secret police. And, and that, I believe also what... then executed. Yes. Um, and so our guy realizes there's been a mistake and that's his like, other than trying to bone down, that's his other main arc. Right, is trying to correct the mistake because they executed Archibald Buttle instead of Archibald Tuttle. Yes. Sorry, I had to throw something at Taco so he stopped scratching the couch. <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, his, his air conditioning goes bad at one point and his apartment is way too hot. So he calls and says he needs his air conditioning fixed. Yes. And they're like, eh, yeah, we'll do it tomorrow, maybe. And... Then that's when Bob Hoskins shows up. Yes. As well, well, Mario Morio. Bob Hoskins and Robert De Niro. Yes, Bob De Niro shows up as... I, I think he's supposed to because he's got the... Is he supposed to be Archibald Tuttle? Possibly? And, like, the reason they want to arrest Archibald Tuttle is because he's working as a freelance HVAC repairman instead of a government HVAC repairman. <laughs> Yeah, I I I was assuming he yeah, that would make sense. So in the in the not too distant future when authoritarianism has taken over and we all live in massively polluted huge humongous block apartments, there'll be there'll be rogue HVAC repairmen who are branded as terrorists for doing HVAC repairs without government authority. Yes, and they they fucking grappling hook around the city. Like their goddamn Attack on Titan. (laughs) Um, And also every so often something explodes. Yeah, because everything in this world is very ill-maintained because there's so many layers of government bureaucracy that need to be, like... Got yeah, you have to cut through so much red tape that it takes forever for anything to get repaired. So there's always a backlog, like yeah. Um, I, and I, I, I mean, I think it's framed as like bombings. Yes, there is also like ter- yeah, they they frame it as terrorist bombings, but I think it's just that, um, like stuff is so ill repaired that it just randomly explodes, and if they can blame it on a terrorist. It means it's not being blamed on the government. That's, yeah, that's a good point. 
um, there's there's one point in this movie where um, our main character gets a singing telegram. Yes. And I like I cheated a little bit because I listened to this part, and the singing telegram sends him an invite to a party that his mother is throwing. And the singing telegram arrives with the invite an hour after the party has already started. (laughs) And she says, yeah, sorry, you know, that's just how the backlog is these days. Wonderful. It's, I feel like this is a movie that wants sound. I imagine so, yeah. Although, like, visually, I did, a a lot of the set stuff was pretty good. The set design was really fascinating, because it was, it was very, like, there were a lot of greeblies, mm-hmm. and I love I love stuff that has a lot of greeblies. Yeah, you know if there's all sorts of who's its and what's its, you know if there's who's its and what's its galore, <laughs> and there were and yeah, and don't even get me started on the thing of a bob count. <laughs> um, then y- you know you have a interesting looking movie, and like that's the whole point of doing any sort of greebling, right? You put greeblies on stuff specifically so that taco that is a knife stop playing with <laughs> taco knives. please taco <laughs> you put greeblies on things to make that more visually interesting yeah that's why you can tolerate looking at that long shot of the star destroyer at the beginning of episode four true there's so much shit on it there's there's too much fucking shit on it <laughs> i mean there's too much fucking shit on me um Sorry, I, I don't remember what the context was, but I, oh, I was talking, I, I made a reference to, um, and I don't want any questions about the tables at work, because I was doing some funky bullshit in Excel, because, you know, sometimes you have to hurt Excel to make it do things for you. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, so there's a bunch of tables, and I don't want any questions about the table. Nobody got the joke, <sighs> which made me look fucking insane. <laughs> uh, do you know how awkward it is to explain sketch comedy to, like, anyone who hasn't seen the sketch? <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's um, not a fun experience. Like, I fully forgot that the entire world hasn't seen I Think You Should Leave. And it's just a weird corner of the internet that likes that show. Yeah. I haven't even seen it. Other than, like, a handful of sketches that you've sent me. Oh, it's... It's it's very good. I... Like, you know, it, it feels very much like it comes from a place of... We spent years trying to get good, funny sketches on SNL, and everything we pitched, we got told no, so we're just gonna do those sketches now. Hell yeah. And they're quite good. Um, Okay, so back to this movie. Back to the movie. Future. The future movie. Um, So, yeah, he finds his truck driver woman through the ceiling of Archibald Buttle's home, because... When the police enter your home, they do so by breaking down your door, but then also cutting a hole in your ceiling and dropping down with a fire pole. Yeah. Like a portable fire pole. Yep. Yeah. And then repair people who work for the government are supposed to replace it, but sometimes the hole that the police cut is bigger than the pre-rendered 
fill-in circle that the repairmen bring. Mm-hmm. So it just falls through the hole. Yeah, and there's nothing you can do about that. Mm-hmm. So I think our main character then takes a better job with government, specifically yeah. because he wants to stalk this truck driving woman. Mm-hmm. That so he surpri- gets this. Yeah, yeah that, that's very Bo is afraid. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> their quote unquote romance was uh, pretty sus. Yeah. It's um, Among Us Twerk. Jeff. <laughs> also, most of it didn't happen, so. Yeah, like how much of it did. Because, like, basically, the movie leads up to him getting caught by the cops and then tortured by his friend. Yeah. And the torturing makes him, like, hallucinate a whole other life. That's but, like, like the... I feel like he had already had a fairly tenuous grasp on reality. Oh, yeah, he was constantly, like, passing out and going into a dream and then waking up randomly. So, um, what else is there about this movie? Because it, like, I, I, I think the the thing that, like, you know, we'll call out the Herebo's journey... <laughs> The, and as he undergoes his his hero's journey, <laughs> it feels like it's um, it's more a movie. Uh, it's it's more of a world building movie than a plot movie. I could see that, but it it also feels like it doesn't really delve too much into the world building. So like, um, there, there's there's the way to look at this movie is to pull comparison films, right? Mm-hmm. It's to compare our lead character to Bo from Bo is Afraid. But it's also to compare the world building to something like um, Carl Urban Judge Dredd is like one of the things that I see as a good parallel there. Yeah. But also British fascism in the sense of V for Vendetta. Yes. And I feel like in V for Vendetta, they definitely build out the whole like far right government thing a lot more there's there's more dystopian greeblies for lack of a better term you know yeah i feel like yeah it's definitely more background in this movie for sure it it's there and you you learn about this world through experiencing it like you know getting to see the children that are like the you know the underprivileged kids who live in squalor who happened to also then light our main character's car on fire for fun. <laughs> yeah, and and you get to see all the, like, propaganda posters, like... Oh, yeah, 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 um, There was one that I didn't make a note of, but I remember from, like, the beginning, and it's, like, it says something like, loose lips are noose lips, or something <laughs> like that. Yes. Which implies that they will, if you spill a secret by accident straight up just execute you yeah which implies that a lot of the control comes through state-sanctioned violence obviously we see that then with the way that the police are militarized shortly thereafter yep it's really quite interesting yeah i feel like you could probably go more into how this government got established and all that fun stuff but I think maybe it would take away from this movie, you know? Yeah, that's not really what the movie's about, I guess. The The movie isn't really even about resistance in the way that, like, 1984 is about, you know, pulling the wool 
out from your eyes so that you can finally see the world as it is, right? Like, that's, like, the big thing with dystopias. Yeah. At least classic dystopias. Like, pre-young adult dystopia dystopias. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, I did sort of, there were, there were a couple of things where I was, like, um, it felt like you could see where it inspired a lot of other stuff in, in later movies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, like, Equilibrium, I feel like. Uh, I felt there were scenes in this movie where, like, the ca- the main character is, like, taken up to, like, the the top rooms where the, where all the elite people get to live, and it, there's, like, these huge cavernous spaces in the building, and he's, like, alone trying to find his way. And that felt very equilibrium to me for some reason. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. Um, there's There's, like, a lot of very neat things that this movie does and like that's the thing i cannot complain about this movie in the way that people seem to want to because i think it's a very well made movie yeah and i i i as i understand it is pretty uh foundational for a lot of um other movies yeah it, it, you know there's a reason why it's called the cult classic and it's because people really like slightly bad movies yeah and i feel like this one falls into that slightly bad category not because of the content of the movie but just because it's a little bit campy and people don't understand camp that's true it's also too long it is too long it feels like it it takes fucking forever to actually get going yeah, so, okay, so, like, let's let's break down, like, the categories of cult classic, right? They're so bad, it's good. Uh-huh. Um, everyone knows The Room. Yes. So bad, it's good. There's, like, the, the campy guilty pleasures, the John Waters stuff, you know, like, that's, that's a whole other category, because those are made that way intentionally, and they are good because of it. Yes. Um, there's the stuff that, like, plays weirdly on nostalgia. That fits into that, like, cult appeal. Yep. Um, there's B-movies, you know, just, like, low production value. There's, um, animated movies for some reason. People just really don't like animated movies that are for adults, but not crude, gross-out humor, adult comedy. Yeah. You know, that's true. Like, um, I think largely about stuff like um, the film version of Persepolis, right? It's an animated movie. It is based on a comic book. It is semi-autobiographical. I think it's actually just straight up autobiographical. Um, it's really, tr- like, truly one of the most beautiful movies I've ever watched. And also it's animated, so nobody takes it seriously. Yeah, that tracks. <clears throat> And, um, listeners, if you have a chance and you have not seen Persepolis, I very, very strongly recommend you go out and see Persepolis. Like, stream it, pirate it, whatever. It's one of my all-time faves. Um, the, the general pitch is that it is, uh, the, it's an autobiographical story about a girl growing up in Iran around the time of the Iranian Revolution. Uh Uh-huh. And dealing with all of that. Yeah. Uh, Sounds stressful. Uh, And then, like, leaving Iran to go to France to 
get educated there and feeling like an outcast and all that fun stuff that comes with being a marginalized immigrant in France in particular. I will have to watch it. <clears throat> it Weirdly, part of the voice cast, Iggy Pop. Fascinating. He's phenomenal. Um it's it's a it's a movie that will just absolutely break your heart multiple times. Of course. And it's so worth it. <laughs> as as many good movies do. If you had to rank it in the top 100 movies of all time, as randomly um, selected by the random movie selector, pretend this is one that comes up. I'll give you... Okay, we're going to go top 10. I'll give you nine other movies selected uh, randomly from my memory of which movies exist. Space Jam. Uh, uh, Iron Man. Uh, Judge Dredd. Um, Peter Pan. Uh, which one? The Disney animated one. Okay. Um, oh God, what other movies? Fuck, I, I forget every movie now. Uh, Have you been counting? Yes. Star Wars Episode Nine. Um, uh, Land Before Time. Original or any of the sequels? Original. Um, okay. Fuck. Fuck. Uh, weirdly, in this random number generator, Space Jam came up again. Um, so Space Jam, Michael Jordan, and Space Jam, LeBron James. No, no, no. They're both Michael Jordan. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, and, then, and then the final one is uh, um, Nosferatu. Okay. So the only ones... I, I, I truly, I like, completely did not remember any of the ones you said. Um, I remember... Oh, okay. So I would put Persepolis at number one or number two. I'd put Nosferatu again, number one, number two. Then Dread, probably number three. Um, Space Jam, maybe like six. There's a lot of tied for worst place. <laughs> like, not even ranked number 10, but tied for worst place. <laughs> that's fair. Um, well, that's, that's our ranking of every movie um, for this week. So, <laughs> when I listen to this... I will, I will, I will take the movies you have listed. I'll write them down. I'll put them in a Discord message for us to rank them together. Okay. And then we'll put out a definitive top ten movies of all time this week. <laughs> yes. On our Tumblr blog at Danger Square Media. Perfect. It's a perfect tie-in. Yeah. Um, oh, Land Before Time was on that list. Yeah. Land Before Time 1 is a top fiver. Okay, okay. Um, that movie has a unique... Would you stop playing with my work mouse, Taco? <laughs> <laughs> you're being so bad. <laughs> the longer you're bad, the more difficult it is for me to finish the recording. Um, Classic Taco. But yeah, Land Before Time 1 is... Very good at making you just absolutely weep. Yeah, no, that's true. There's the fucking song that was specifically written for it. That's like, it's just so sad. <laughs> um, do, 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 do. Let's. Write. Oh yeah, and it was also a Don Bluth movie, right? That sounds plausible. Um, there's. 
music. That's the... There is Cry Taco. Mm. <laughs> it was Diana Ross sang the film's theme song, If We Hold On Together. Okay. Do you want to do you want to tell me what Brazil was about? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. that. Seems like a good good thing to do. Brazil is a 1985 sci-fi dystopian dark comedy film directed by Terry Gilliam and written by Gilliam, Charles McCowan, and Tom Stoppard. It stars Jonathan Price and features Robert De Niro, Kim Grace, Michael Palin, Catherine Helmond, Bob Hoskins, and Ian Holm. The film centers on Sam Lowry, a low-ranking bureaucrat trying to find a woman who appears in his dreams while he's working in a mind-numbing job and living in a small apartment set in a dystopian world in which there's an over-reliance on poorly maintained and rather whimsical machines. Brazil is a satire of technocracy, bureaucracy, hyper-surveillance, corporate statism, state capitalism, and is reminiscent of George Orwell's novel 1984. It's been called Kafkaesque as well as absurdist. Plot. In a dystopian, polluted, hyper-consumerist, overbearing, bureaucratic, totalitarian future based on an amalgamation of the 20th century, Sam Lowry is a low-level government employee who frequently dreams of himself as a winged warrior, saving a damsel in distress. One day, shortly before Christmas, an insect becomes jammed in a teleprinter, which misinterprets a copy of an arrest warrant it was receiving. This leads to the arrest and death during interrogation of cobbler Archibald Buttle, instead of suspected terrorist Archibald Tuttle. Sam discovers the mistake when he discovers the wrong bank account has been debited for the arrest. He visits Buttle's widow to give her the refund, where he catches a glimpse of her upstairs neighbor, Jill Layton, a truck driver, and is astonished to discover that Jill resembles the woman from his dreams. Sam frantically tries to approach Jill, but she disappears before he can find her. Jill has been trying to help Mrs. Buttle establish what happened to her husband, but her efforts have been obstructed by bureaucracy. Unbeknownst to her, she's now considered a terrorist accomplice of Tuttle for attempting to report the wrongful arrest of Buttle. That sounds mm. about right. Yeah, that, that... Meanwhile... Sorry, go ahead. I don't know what I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sam reports a fault in his apartment's air conditioning. Central services are uncooperative, but then Tuttle unexpectedly comes to his assistance. Tuttle explains that he used to work for central services, but he left because of his dislike of the tedious and repetitive paperwork, and now works illegally as a freelance heating engineer. <laughs> Tuttle cool repairs guy. Sam's air conditioning... But when two Central Services workers, Spore and Dowser, arrive, Sam has to Saul to let Tuttle escape. Sam discovers that Jill's records have been classified, and the only way to access them is to be promoted to information retrieval. He had previously turned down a promotion arranged by his high-ranking mother, Ida, sorry, who's obsessed with the rejuvenating plastic surgery of cosmetic surgeon Dr. Jaffe. Sam retracts his refusal by speaking to Deputy Minister Mr. Helpman at a party hosted by Ida. After obtaining Jill's record, Sam tracks her down before she can be arrested. Sam clumsily confesses his love to Jill, and they cause mayhem as they escape government agents. They stop at a mall and are frightened by a terrorist bombing, part of a campaign that's been occurring around the city. Then, government agents arrive and take Sam. He awakens briefly detained in police custody. At work... Taco. At work, Sam is chastised by his new boss, Mr. Warren, for his lack of productivity. Sam returns home to find that Spore and Dowser have repossessed his apartment. Tuttle then appears in secret and helps Sam enact revenge on the two central services workers by filling their hazmat suits with raw sewage. 
Jill finds Sam outside his apartment, and the two take refuge in Ida's unoccupied home, where they share their first kiss. Sam falsifies government records to indicate her death, allowing, to re- allowing her to escape pursuit. The two have sex overnight, but in the morning are apprehended by the government at gunpoint. Sam is told that Jess was killed while resisting arrest. Charged with treason for abusing his new position, Sam is restrained in a chair in a large, empty cylindrical room to be tortured by his old friend, Jack Lint. As Jack is about to start the torture, Tuttle and other members of the resistance break into the ministry, shooting Jack, rescuing Sam, and blowing up the ministry building. Sam and Tuttle flee together, but Tuttle mysteriously disappears amid a mass of scraps of paperwork from the destroyed building. Sam stumbles into the funeral of Ida's friend, who died following a botched cosmetic surgery. Sam discovers that his mother now resembles Jill, and is too busy being fawned over by young men to care for her son's plight. Government agents disrupt the funeral, and Sam falls into the open casket. Through a black void, he lands in a street from his daydreams, and tries to escape police and monsters by climbing a pile of flex ducts. Opening a door, he passes through it and is surprised to find himself in a truck driven by Jill. The two leave the city together. However, this happy ending is a delusion. It's revealed that Sam is still... It's revealed that Sam is still trapped to the torture chair. Realizing that Sam has descended into irrevocable insanity, Jack and Mr. Heltman declare him a lost cause and leave the room. Sam remains in the chair smiling and humming uh, Aquarela do Brasil to himself. The end. Hmm. I did read in some of the reviews that the um, reveal that the happy ending was just a hallucination was cut out of the original American theatrical release, and it just ended with a happy ending. That is interesting. Yeah, <laughs> certainly a choice. Oh yeah, yeah. the 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 U.S. distribution was handled by Universal, whose executives felt the ending tested poorly, so they just had it be a happy ending. <laughs> Same Jesus. thing they did to fucking Blade Runner. God. The Blade Runner happy ending, the Brazil happy ending. What are we doing? I I, I don't know. Um, first of all, we have a one-star review from West titled, Don't do it, just don't. There's moldy grout in your shower to scrub instead. And it reads, Painful, painful, painful. Ah! Whoever said this was a great movie is an evil sadist. Warning, you may become emotionally scarred however, whenever you look at ducting. It will certainly kill any aspirations you've ever had to go into the HVAC trade. Even if that's not your calling, don't bother watching this horrible flick. You're welcome. Okay, so what if there was a review from someone named East, and it was just, like, the inverse of everything that West said, and was five stars? <laughs> That would be great. That I would that would that would do it for me. I didn't see it. it it's possible I didn't go through all of the five star reviews, so it is possible that that does exist. Um, what was what 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 did what did West say again? And I'll, we'll we'll come up with the inverse of this as we go. Okay, so so the, the title is don't do it, just don't. There's one star, which we up to five stars instead. Yes, yeah. Sorry, yes. We have, there was an internet issue and you just sort of like spurted out all your words at once for, it was very strange. Fascinating. Um, Yeah. So the title of the review, don't do it. You have moldy grout to scrub instead or something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so the the East review says, "Do it, do it, just watch do this it. movie. Let the mold grow in your shower." Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> the, the, so the first line of the review is painful, painful, painful. Ah. Uh, so then it would be delightful, delightful, delightful. Ah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. Um, whoever said this was a great movie is an evil sadist. Uh, whoever said this was a bad movie is a good masochist. <laughs> Warning, you may become... A heroic masochist, sorry. Yes. Warning, you may become emotionally scarred whenever you look at ducting. Warning, you may become physically aroused whenever you look at ducting. It will certainly kill any aspirations you've ever had to go into the HVAC trade. It will certainly drive any aspirations you ever had to go in the HVAC trade. Even if that's not your calling, don't bother watching this horrible flick. Especially if that is your calling, do bother watching this delightful flick. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <coughs> Alright, so I'm, I'm, I'm making an Amazon account called East, and I'm, <laughs> we're gonna put that up there. <laughs> It'll be a nice little uh, Easter egg. Ah. <laughs> I genuinely didn't mean it like that, but I realized it as soon as I said it. Uh, that was good shit. Good shit. Good job. <clears throat> okay, let's see William's next review. Uh, gives it one star. Title's review See this only if you are a pothead. And it reads, wow, I think this movie was written for potheads who are stoned when viewing it. I, this is just, this is the same as the Tumblr gimmick blog of carbon monoxide detector, (laughs) where someone does or says something novel and silly, and people's first response is, who were they on drugs? Or, oh, are you, is there a gas leak? (laughs) And it's like, no, stop stop being creatively bankrupt and appreciate that someone is doing something you didn't think of. Yeah. Uh, this right. next review is from the guy who posts, uh, are you on drugs? Um, the username here is I'm right. And okay, <laughs> great start. They give it one star and the review is titled very deep slash profound if you haven't passed high school English. And it reads, people kept recommending this movie over and over and it sounded pretty interesting. Think Monty Python meets 1984. Now think about it again. Wait, that sounds pretty awful, doesn't it? Well, that's this movie in a nutshell, but let's go over why it sucked in detail, shall we? Point number one, stupid love plot. Terry Gilliam tries to ape George Orwell by throwing in a forbidden love story, but here the guy falls in love with a lesbian truck driver, and their love and bonding are shown through zany, wacky car chases through many expensive sets. Why does he love her again? Because she looks like someone in his dream. Wow, this is genius. Someone passed me more crayons to chew on. (laughs) Point number two, the main character. The main character is a bumbling, pathological liar. Feel sympathy for him yet? Don't worry, you won't. He pretty much is a clumsy, oafish drone that decides to throw it all away to follow his heart. And this is basically the gist of the movie. He's getting into wacky chase scenes with the police that is supposed to be funny or informative or something. 
Really though, it just felt like one big budgeted cartoon that took itself seriously, and you're supposed to relate to this, Claude. Point number three. <clears throat> Other characters. You see his mom a few times getting her face stretched, then you see her in a coffin later in the movie. Wow, plastic surgery. Bad? Wow, Terry, that's deep, man. You also see Robert De Niro, who probably was drunk on the set, show up as a vigilante air conditioner repairman. You read that right. He shows up, beats up the two government repairmen, fixes the idiot, I mean hero's, air conditioner, then zip lines away. It's like Terry Gilliam got his son in kindergarten to write that part. Oh, and near the end, when the hero's dreaming of his escape, Robert De Niro's character comes to aid him, but then gets smothered by pieces of paper floating around. Cough, cough. Wow, man, this movie's, like, blowing my mind. Bureaucracy bad? That's, like, too deep, man. Pass me the bong. Other characters show up, I guess, to spoon-feed the presumably stoned audience the same boring message over and over. Bureaucracy bad. We get it, Terry. Thank you. You can show us something new now. Yes. Thanks, Terry. We get it. Moving on now. Yes? Point number four. The stage designs. The designs are admittedly impressive. However, with all of Gilliam's works, they serve almost no purpose to the plot and is basically just Terry going, look guys, I've done drugs before. Set piece after set piece is trashed and destroyed as a car plows through it or a character runs through one, and the fact that five minutes afterwards none of the set designs stuck with me goes to show that Terry's surrealism is all bark and no bite. The main character's dream sequences weren't much better either. It was some Dungeons and Dragons fantasy that shows that office drones have dreams and aspirations too. So yeah, it's all one big lavish waste of time. The script slash message is nothing new to think about if you passed high school. The story is strange and uninvolving, and I didn't care about any of the characters or the main character's ultimately selfish aspirations. The only part I did like, however, was the ending. It was surprisingly grim, which was a nice twist on things. If only the ride to that part had been more enjoyable. Edit, for people telling me I don't get it, Wake up, there's nothing to get from this massively overrated live-action cartoon geared towards pseudo-intellectuals. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> uh, I played the New York Times Connections puzzle for the day in the middle of that review, <laughs> and I came back and I hadn't missed anything. <laughs> uh, uh. Um... So this this is a review from a man who I it's it, invariably a man. Oh yeah, yeah. Who simply doesn't understand that the m- movie he watched was a comedy mm-hmm. and not meant to be a serious deep profound introspection but rather a genre parody of the 1984 style dystopia stories. Well, you know, like, maybe consider the fact that you're watching a comedy movie. Have you considered, Cat? however, that he's right? It's in his username, so... Uh, you know, uh, you, that's true. It is in his username, and you can't lie on the internet, so... You can't, especially not in a username. Speaking of usernames, our next Amazon user is named... It is a small ringdom, but... And they have given this a two-star review and titled it... The secret meaning is, is, is. And it reads, After watching Gilliam's sophisticated, urbane production of Brazil, I spent several days considering the socio-political implications of this part live-action, part animated feature film. I, I don't, was there animation? (laughs) 
I jotted down Not notes for what I thought would be a relevant report, and after extensive study of the classic reference book for such artistic endeavors, licit and illicit drugs, I found the description for it in a nutshell. It simply read, Bad Craziness, signed Hunter. Is, was Are they implying an involvement in some way from Hunter S. Thompson? That's a great question. Probably. Do you talk about both licit and illicit drugs? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I think maybe people have forgotten how to enjoy films. I think so. That's probably true. I think there's an element to this that is driven by this desire to... It's, it's not even gain intellectual stimulation from a movie, because I don't think that's what people are looking for. And it's certainly not what these people are looking for. Yeah. What these people are looking for is a movie that tells you what it's about. And it's about, it's either it's about something or it's about what it says on the fucking tin. You know, there's a reason why the most popular movies right now are Marvel movies, right? Yeah. Like, and that's declining, obviously, just from, you know, Marvel fatigue, Star Wars fatigue, all that fun stuff. Yeah. But, like, you know, people watch movies that don't just give you what's on the tin, and they go, this movie didn't make any sense. Yeah. Because they had to engage some critical thinking. And <clears throat> if my coworkers are anything you know, to go by, nobody on the planet has critical thinking skills. <laughs> Um, there's only two people on this planet who have critical thinking skills Um, and those people are Alex Horn yes twice oh sorry Alex Horn and Dr. Little Alex Horn (laughs) Uh, when we get down to critical thinking skills you know um, Taskmaster is great for that right yeah you put someone in a novel situation and you say think about it here are your constraints figure out a way around them yeah is that why I like that show? Just, also, it's incredibly funny. I think so. It is very funny, especially <laughs> when oh, it's it's a classic Taskmaster mistake to start doing things before you read the task, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone starts doing things before they read the task, despite knowing that that's what trips them up. Yeah. It's just, it's very funny to me. It's, it's good shit. It's solidly good shit. I have two more pretty quick reviews. Okay, hit me with those two quick reviews, and then I'm going to give you my thesis on why Taskmaster Canada could work. Okay. Amazon customer gives maybe two stars. Titles review. Trust me, this is no Blade Runner. And it reads, Highly disappointing Orwellian (sighs) quasi-futuristic film. The story revolves around a homosexual romance between Sam and Jill. Uh, Jill is in quotes here. A witness to the arrest due to false identity, Jill is forced to run from law enforcement officials and is aided by his homosexual lover, Sam. The film shows sparks of creativity here and there, but ultimately will just deprive you of two and a half hours you could have put to better use. What's going on here? Um, this person has decided to do his own personal transvestigation (laughs) and determined that the character of Jill is in fact assigned male at birth fascinating <laughs> that's uh, i will never understand people final review mbk gives it three stars titles review silly movie and it reads it had nothing to do with brazil it's true it had nothing to do with brazil 
Um, I still okay, maintain so that titling your movie after a song that you use in the movie is insane behavior. I've titled Fix after songs that I listened to while writing that fanfic. That's different. Is it? Yes. What if I reference the song in the fic and the song becomes a sort of literary motif rather than audio motif? Although it is also an audio motif if you are listening to like a jukebox soundtrack for this fic. (laughs) I think if the song is like an integral part of the story, it's fine. If the song is just set dressing for and has nothing to do with the movie then it's not fine okay what about a fic that's set in um let's say 1999 or 2000 okay let's go with 2000 and the background set dressing song is one of the more popular songs at the time that it felt like you really couldn't escape on the radio who let the dogs out by the baja men <laughs> Would it be acceptable to title the fic something like The Party Was Nice, The Party Was Bumping? Is there a party in the story? Um, yippee i That's incredibly stupid bit. I'm so tired. <laughs> Should, should we, um, do you want to do an intro from one of the previous episodes? Oh yeah, we did say we were going to do that. Um, okay, hold on. Let's, um, letterkelp.com episodes. <laughs> okay, um, let's start with, uh, Penguin Highway. Penguin Highway. Okay. Hello and welcome to Unsound Theories. I'm Kat. I'm Kira. We watch movies with no sound and no subtitles and try to figure out what the hell is going on. Spoiler. Penguins. <laughs> Perfect. Got it in one. <laughs> next next episode, we'll do that episode and also Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. no I get what you're saying. <laughs> I, I, for a second, I thought you meant next episode, we will do Penguin Highway and Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> And just keep building on it. Let's not do that, though. That sounds bad. Let's not do that. That's unlistenable. <laughs> Speaking of which, thanks for listening. We sure didn't. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Squad. Unsound Theories is made by Danger Square Productions. You can follow us on Tumblr at Danger Square Media, or follow Kat and Kira on their respective Tumblrs at ZaftiCat, that's Z-A-F-T-I-K-A-T, and Sapphire-Mess. The best ways to support what we do are leaving five-star reviews on the podcatcher of your choice, or telling a friend about the show. If you'd like to support us monetarily to help us keep the lights on, you can visit dangersquare.ca, where you'll find links to our Patreon. The music used in this episode is Dance on All the Cell Phones by Chris Posto of Sounds Like an Earful. Visit soundslikeanearful.com to hear more of Chris's tracks. Until next time, thanks for listening, because we sure didn't. <laughs>